It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone, your host here. As always, we love it when you tune in, because if you didn't, we wouldn't have a show. It's just that simple. But no, you have been tuning in for a lot of years, ever since we started this podcast, all the way back in 2007, when nobody cared what a podcast was or barely knew what a podcast was. But you know what? We had our faithful listeners all the way from 2007 until right this minute in real time. And we thank you guys for all your letters and comments and just everything from all over the world. We really do appreciate your being our supporter, your diehard supporters. And we appreciate the new people as well, of course. And to further speak of new people, we now are being heard, our podcast is being heard on the Odyssey uh, podcast network, Odyssey. Yeah, that Odyssey, that one, A-U-D-A-C-Y, Odyssey. Yes, go Odyssey. We are so thankful to be a part of your family with our show here. So let's further talk about the show here. We have you know, sometimes we have like sometimes we have like five guests in one show, but this week we have two guests, and they are very important. Of course, our first guest is our beloved resident expert. I call him the king of groovy movies, and he is the knowledgeable guy of television. Of course, we're talking about our resident experts on film and television, Chris Woolsey, who is the senior director of communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, and. He will be talking to us to tell us what's popping, what's hot at Crackle. Yes, Crackle.com. And uh, he's just always got just a, a walking, He's Chris is his own Google. He knows so much about film and television. So he will be telling us uh, what's going on at Crackle for the month of August a lot. Let me tell you, you you'll hear. And we also have uh, a very talented filmmaker. His name is Mark Shapiro, and he is the producer and the director of a new documentary titled Downwind. And it's a documentary that chronicles the nuclear testing that took place in the Nevada area during the years uh, from 1951 to 1992. Very important documentary. Just, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, I get, I'm very sensitive and I have a very soft heart about uh, things like this. But again, this is information that we do need to know, and they've done an amazing job with this documentary. It is uh, narrated by actor Martin Sheen. Uh, there are appearances from Oscar winner Michael Douglas and political satirist uh, Louis Black has also got a, a cameo scene. And Matthew Modine. Yes, that Matthew Modine, the actor, he is the executive producer for Downwind, and it is available 
Starting on August 18th, it will be available and premiering at select movie theaters around the country and also on video on demand. So you can find more information about Downwind at their Instagram website. Go to Downwind, W-I-N-D underscore film. That's at Downwind underscore film and you can find more information. So anyway, Mark Shapiro will be joining us later. And so before we get to our guest here, I want to share with you some fun information. You know, I love the information that WalletHub, wallethub.com sends us. They are the, um, the finance, personal finance website. Yeah, wallethub.com. And they always have real helpful information about the best, the worst, the popular, the most popular, the not so most popular, about just all kinds of topics. So right now, they recently, according to their list, they have the top 10 best cities for recreation. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, and they base this upon actually 100 of the largest cities in America across, they use 48 key indicators of recreation friendliness. Again, go to their website and they they have it all broken down as to how they came about with their own list. So I'm going to share with you really fast before we get to Chris uh, and uh, Mark Shapiro here. These are the top 10 best cities for recreation. Even though we are in August, there are a lot of people that are still doing their recreation thing and they're doing their vacay thing. So it's never too late. For me, to me, I just think there's never too late to do a vacation. I just don't. Even even if it's like January 3rd, you can still go on vacation as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, let's get to it. Wallet Hub, according to them, their list, the top 10 best cities for recreation are, let's start at number 10, Chicago, number 10. Yes. St. Louis is number nine. Now that surprised me. I really am surprised, but what do I know? Honolulu is number eight. Not a surprise. Number seven is San Diego. Number six is Scottsdale, Arizona. Number five is Atlanta. And number four is Cincinnati. And that surprised me because I'm surprised that Cincinnati would rank higher than San Diego and Hawaii. Interesting. Number three is Tampa, Florida. Number two is Orlando. So the two Floridas, that's not a surprise. And number one, the number one best city for recreation, according to WalletHub.com is, can we get a little tacky drum roll? Yeah, that's tacky enough. Las Vegas, our city. Yes. Da-da-da. Do the Batman dance. Yes. Las Vegas is our number one city no surprise here, though. Uh, for best cities for recreation, according to WalletHub.com. I think we we pull that off and just got that W there. But anyway, it's a fun list. And again, go to WalletHub.com and you can get all of the details as to how they came up with their list. I can tell you this, the on their list, the worst cities for recreation. Uh, let me give you the bottom three. Number 98. It's Durham, North Carolina. Ooh. Number 99 is Newark, New Jersey. And number 100 is Chula Vista, California, which is actually, I guess I used to live in San Diego. That's actually a part of 
San Diego and surrounding areas. I'm sorry, Durham, Newark, and Chula Vista. You guys got to do better. But I still like a bit to all of those cities, and they're very nice people, and they're nice to visit. They really are. Okay, we are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll be talking with Chris Woolsey, Senior Director of Communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, and he will be telling us what's popping at Crackle for the month of August. Okay, so we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Chris Woolsey, the king of streaming from Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, and you are listening to Film Festival Radio with Janice Malone. All right, everyone, it is time. It is time for our resident expert of film and television. He is the only person that I know who knows the difference between the characters Loki and Kaiser Sose. We're talking about the one and only Chris Woolsey, Senior Director of Communications for Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment. Hi, Chris. Janice, thank you so much for having me back. This is always the highlight of my month. My goodness. Well, okay. We're, can you believe it's already August, Chris? Oh, goodness. Oh my gosh! Where do the days go? When uh, I was when I was a young lad, they seemed to last a lot longer. Oh yeah, definitely summer vacation for school is out. All of that we're definitely dead, but we're back in August. So okay, what is cracking and popping at Crackle for the month of August? Oh my goodness, we've got a ton of great stuff. So I love. I know. I, I know we've talked about this before, but I love independent films. I love scrappy productions, and I don't think there's anyone in the entertainment industry that exemplifies that kind of ethos as the world-famous producer, Roger Corman. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. And so we, I am very excited because Crackle has the lost Roger Corman film. So there is a movie that we have called Virtually Heroes, and this is uh, starring a an actor you may have heard of, Mark Hamill. Kind of. a character that you may have heard of called Luke Skywalker. Uh, kind of, sort of, yes, absolutely. Right? And it also stars Robert Baker from Supergirl, Brent mm-hmm. Chase from Bosch, and Katie Savoy from How I Met Your Mother. Okay. And this is... Uh, it's the lost Roger Gorman film because it premiered at Sundance in 2013 and then somehow got put on a shelf and the entertainment world forgot about it until our good friends from our sister company, Screen Media, found it, dusted it off, gave it a theatrical distribution late last year, and now it's available for the first time for free on Crackle starting this month. Oh, man. And it's super fun. So it's about two video game characters in a Call of Duty style video game who become self-aware and realize that they're living in a video game. Goodness. Don't you hate when that happens? (laughs) 
right? I mean, it's very meta. I got to be honest yes, with you. It's very, it's very funny, but it's super fun. If you like, uh, like Tropic Thunder, like ridiculous, yes. over the top action films, um, this is the one for you. It it's got. I I don't even know how they fit this many explosions into one film. It's unbelievable. Well, how can you not like anything from uh, Corman? I mean, the name says it all. My goodness. For sure. Mm-hmm. And because uh, uh, Roger Corman is just such a, a, a great part of, of, of the Crackle ecosystem, we actually built a channel this month to honor him, it's called the RCU, not the MCU, which everybody talks about, the Marvel Comic Universe. But this is the RCU, the Roger Corman Universe. Oh, and wow. it has all of Corman's classics on Crackle for free right now. Oh, Chris, that is so cool. So all the Roger Corman groupies out there, this is your chance. This is it. Well, and the crazy thing is, is when you start to look at all the people that Roger Corman has either worked with or given first uh, shots at a job in the industry. Mm-hmm. It is unbelievable. I, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on, but it's um, Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. and um, God, uh, David Carradine, Jack Nicholson. I don't know if you realize, but Jack Nicholson, one of his first acting jobs was in The Little Shop of Horrors. I did not know that. Um Charles Bronson uh, from the what? Corman classic Machine Gun Kelly. Um, who else? Um, let's see. Francis Ford Coppola, of course. How can I forget that? Dementia 13. Uh, he directed that film. And um, it's just, just, you go through this channel on Crackle and it's just a who's who. Ron Howard. Um, what? Ron Howard was in a movie called Eat My Dust. And uh, they wanted to do a sequel. And Ron Howard went to Roger Corman and said, I will do the next film at the exact same rate. I won't upcharge you for the sequel, but only on one condition. And that's that I get to direct it. And that was Ron Howard's first directorial debut. And there we have it. The, the beginning, the impetus of the great Ron Howard's movie career. James Cameron. James Cameron was the production designer and second unit director on no. a walk fest called Galaxy of Terror. No way. And while he was doing that, uh, I'll tell you the quick story. So he he needed maggots on a prop arm to wiggle <laughs> more vigorously. So he he took the the wiring from a tool and plugged it into the back of the arm and lit it up with <laughs> with juice. And the, the the worms on this prop arm started wiggling super fast. And some producers were walking by and they were like, that guy knows how to make the most of his budget. Let's hire him to do our next film, which was Piranha 2. And uh, the rest is history with James Cameron. Man, and they're the old maggots on an arm trick. (laughs) Works every time. Man, we would have never seen Avatar and all these other great James, James Cameron stuff. Oh, goodness. Right? That's, that's amazing. Such an amazing totally. story. Well, has the Academy ever, they've, have they ever honored him or did I miss it? You know what? I don't know that they have. I think the, the rest of the industry has. I mean, he's, he's produced 
and or directed uh, over 300 films. Um, it's just a ridiculous career, but yeah, he is one of the most prolific filmmakers in Hollywood history, for sure. Just that list of careers he's launched, that's enough for me right there. Oh, goodness. I know. Goodness. Crazy. So who else do we have for the month of August? Um, we've got a ton of great stuff. So, um, you know, we have these Chicken Soup for the Soul original rom-coms that we have. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, once they premiere on Chicken Soup for the Soul streaming, we uh, usually will also roll them over onto Crackle. So we have one of those this month on Crackle, and that is called Love Map. Mm -hmm. And I think we may have actually talked about this uh, last month on the Chicken Soup for the Soul uh, segment that we did. Um, but that's starring Ashley Bratcher from Unplanned and Reed Favero from Ballers. And um, it's about a woman who is launching a, a travel app, and she wants to find all the most romantic places in Florida in order to use that as the launch for this travel app of hers. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the um, sort of tourism director who is showing her around um, he and her mix like oil and water and it's a, uh, it looks like the whole entire campaign is going to come crashing down until they realize that, uh, the sun in Florida may not be the only thing that's hot around there, uh, because, uh, sparks begin to fly. And, um, it's, it's a super cute movie. If you're looking for uh, a little romance, uh, you know, curl up on the, on the couch with a, uh, uh, Warm cup of coffee and um, love map is definitely going to be the one for you. Love map. I have a lot of girlfriends who love those genre of films, so I better tell them. I know they're listening. Yep. Possibly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we have a great series. I don't know if we talked about this one or not. It actually um, uh, premiered on our uh, sister uh, brand, Popcorn Flicks. And this is a Crackle original series called In the Vault. And no. it is spectacular. It's perfect because, you know, students are heading back to college now. Mm -hmm. And this is actually a uh, TV series in kind of in the vein of like Riverdale. It's like okay. dark um, pop culture, but it's like it's very taut. And it's actually a murder mystery that takes place on a college campus. Ooh. And so the first week of school, uh, a student is found uh, dead. They don't know whether she jumped off a building or was thrown. And each week, they go through a different character in the dorm with her. And one week, you think that this person might be the hero. And the next week, you think they might be the murderer. So it switches back and forth and back and forth. Really well written, super smart. And um, if you like things like Scream or I Know What You Did Last Summer, this is definitely in the vein for you. Oh, I love I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yes, that's that's me. That's my that's my genre. Yeah. Okay. And the, the, the cast is incredible. Uh, Audrey Whitby, who is the lead in the uh, Disney Channel. Also, speaking of gorgeous, Sins back in the day. Mm -hmm. She's now uh, an adult and drop dead gorgeous and she's the lead in the series but also speaking of gorgeous sydney sweeney uh from euphoria uh is also in this series as well and so people have been raving about this show um we have seasons one and two uh available for free on crackle okay 
free, everybody. Remember, free. So between homework assignments, binge watch this one. That's right. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sticking with the, um, you know, the, the teen angst feel, um, we've got a great feature. Um, this is actually based on a, a best-selling novel, and it's called How I Live Now. And it's starring uh, Sorcy Ronan from The French Dispatch, which I love, and uh, Tom Holland, who, you know, who doesn't love uh, the best Spider-Man in, in uh, recent memory. Um, but it is a great feature. It's kind of unusual because it's an imaginative retelling of, of history. So it's, I guess they call it speculative history. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about uh, a young woman from America who's sent to England to go uh, live with her family because she's continually getting in trouble. And while she's in England with her extended family, World War III breaks out. And while that's going on, she gets separated from her family. So it's about her trying to literally battle through the battlefield so that she can find her family and reunite. Oh, I hope, I know we can't do spoilers, but I sure hope it has a happy ending. <laughs> really, all those kind of movies, I'll just be so scared. It's not going to have a happy ending, but we'll just have to watch and see. We'll see. Yep, yep. you never know. You never know. Well, I saw... But- you, you, just because we've had so many dark titles, you might need uh, a little something to lighten up the mood. And so um, we have some new seasons of Everybody Hates Chris, uh, the Chris Rock series. Uh-huh. So much fun. Um, and so this is kind of a loose retelling of Chris Rock's childhood uh, that he turned into uh, an amazing series, which was one of my favorite comedy series of the last decade. And interestingly enough, the, the kid, uh, who's no longer a kid, but who played the young Chris Rock, Tyler James Williams, is now the lead in the, the series Abbott Elementary, which I am absolutely in love with. Uh, my whole family loves it. Okay. And, um, you know, you watch Everybody Hates Chris and you go, man, this kid's talented. What in the world is he going to do when he, you know, ends up being the lead in an Emmy-nominated uh, or Emmy-winning uh, TV series. Isn't it weird how you can see certain TV shows or films uh, when people were super young and then they continue to have success like this one and then you see them now and what they're doing. Yeah. It's so strange and, and, and cool in a way too. Well, to further speak of kids, actors and such, I saw on the Crackle website, you guys have the little rascals now. We do, we do. We bought that uh, that library of content uh, that um, includes little raffles, and yeah, we're super excited because I am a gigantic fan of uh, the little raffles, and I grew up watching them uh, every. Uh, I think it was every Saturday and yeah. Sunday morning on KQLA. Growing up as a kid, um, they would have the little raffles on, and I I didn't even know what it was, but I would watch it, and then my dad saw that I was watching it and he had watched it growing up. And so it was kind of a bonding thing for us, but man, uh, you talk about crazy and there's so much interesting trivia uh, about that series. You know, that Spanky and Alfalfa's dad were so crazy about which one was, was the lead on the show that they would literally count every word 
in every script, and both boys had to have the exact same number of words what? in the script. Oh, man. You're talking about momagers and daddy-gers. Right? Exactly. It's bananas. And then, interesting uh, side note, Alfalfa, who was actually in It's a Wonderful Life. If you watch It's a Wonderful Life, do you know the, the famous scene where the the um, dance floor splits open yeah. and there's a swimming pool underneath it okay. and everybody falls in? Yes. Well, Alfalfa is the kid who Jimmy Stewart's eventual wife was dancing with and then Jimmy Stewart cuts in and takes takes her away and that kid is the reason the floor splits open uh, and that was Alfalfa. But uh, tragically, he was actually killed shortly after that movie was made. Um, He borrowed somebody's hunting dog in the Hollywood Hills and went hunting in the Hollywood Hills and lost the dog. And when he came back, an argument ensued that then turned into a gunfight and he was shot and killed. Oh, I didn't know that's how he died. Oh, yeah. How yep. Tragic. Tragically, very young. Oh, how tragic. How tragic. But what good trivia. Man. <laughs> My mind is packed with useless knowledge. You know that. No, but, oh man, Chris, you should, you should have your own private trivia show and game show. You really should. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. We should do that. It would be so much fun. And because I learned so much, because see, now I'm going to go back and play It's a Wonderful Life and just fast forward to that scene. I'm like, oh. I'm yep, so check it out. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, anyway, we have gotten all of our snap, crackle, and pop here news updates for the month of August. I've got one more title if oh, I have time sure. to sneak it in, Janet. Go right ahead. Okay, so. Um, starting, uh, August 22nd, we have The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson in, in the film San Andreas. So this is like the disaster film to end all disaster films. Yes, it yes. starts with an earthquake. Uh, there's a tsunami. At one point, a cruise liner gets thrown into an office, uh, high rise. It's the craziest <laughs> movie, but he plays a search and rescue guy who's in the air talking to his ex-wife who they have a terrible relationship um and while they're on the phone together a 9.0 earthquake rips the san andreas fault open and the city of los angeles gets split in half and he now has to find and save his ex-wife and his daughter before tragedy ensues well if anyone can do all of that it's definitely the rock (laughs) <laughs> Are you kidding me? Absolutely. If I if I need saving, he's the first guy I'm calling. He's that guy. Uh, earthquake. Uh, forget about the the mailman, the post office. Snow, rain, sleet. No tsunamis, earthquakes. Nope. The rocks got it covered. Yeah, absolutely. You call you call Dwayne, and he's got to he's got to handle. If, you know what? He may can even settle the strike. He's just that good. He just, he just, oh, I hope, I hope. <laughs> I really do. Too. Oh, yeah, this is getting, uh, anyway, spooky. But anyway, Chris, as always, thank you for your update on Crackle. And we will check with you next Saturday to see what's hot. I will count the minutes. I can't wait. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Janet. Okay. Talk soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Chris.
He is always so much fun to talk to. And so now that brings me to our featured guest for this uh, week's show. As I mentioned earlier, our guest is Mark Shapiro, and he is one of the directors and producers of the new documentary, Downwind. And Downwind is a documentary that chronicles the nuclear testing that took place in Nevada, in the Nevada area throughout Nevada, uh, during the 19 from 1951 to 1992 during that time span 928 nuclear weapons were detonated and these tests have really impacted various people over the last several decades um Mark will give us more details, of course. This film is narrated by actor Martin Sheen, and it also has appearances from Oscar winner Michael Douglas and political satirist uh, Louis Black with actor Matthew Modine serving as executive producer for the film. Now, as I said earlier, Downwind will be premiering on August 18 in select theaters throughout the country and also on video on demand. And once again, you can find more information on their uh, IG page. Go to at Downwind underscore film. Now, as I said, I spoke recently to Mark Shapiro, and he had a lot of insight to share with us about the making of Downwind, how all of these A-list uh, actors became involved, and just just about the whole topic of uh, the detonation of nuclear weapons here in our country, why it was done so much, uh, how it has impacted the people who suffered a lot of health problems and lost loved ones. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in, but it's a very important documentary that I think everyone needs to know about and to see. So without any further delay, let's roll it with my recent interview with producer-director Mark Shapiro. guest for today's show. He's a very talented uh, filmmaker. He is the director and one of the producers of a brand new feature documentary titled Downwind. And I'm speaking with Mark Shapiro. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a real pleasure. Now, I understand Downwind will be opening. Uh, is that nationwide on August 18th, or is it in limited run in certain segments of the country, or is it all over the nation? It'll be in select theaters on August 18th and on many different platforms available. Uh, we'll have a character letter that I can send to you okay. that'll show you exactly where you can watch it on, on the 18th. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, will you, uh, in your state or city, will there be any kind of red carpet type of uh, event taking place or what? Um, no, we're actually just, uh, we're, we're in Lindley's in Santa Monica. We're doing a, you know, that first screening on the 18th. And then um, for the most part, it is an opportunity for people to be able to view it at home on demand or, you know, on, on other platforms. Um, but we don't. We're not going to be doing a red carpet yet. However, 
Um, we have some other screenings down the road that um, I'll be able to address um, where there'll be more of a sort of a festive atmosphere. Well, I really hope that you guys have something here in Las Vegas since so much of the film is about our state. But we can talk about that at a later time then, of course. Okay, but yeah, I do. I will add that we will have some live screenings in Las Vegas because it was such a critical part of our um, of our production. A lot of people are from there, and we're hoping that we're going to be in a screening at a theater there. Um, we actually just had a meeting last uh, week, so it was absolutely essential for us to be able to screen in, in Las, live in Las Vegas. So it will be something that I'll, I'll let you know about. Great, great. Looking forward to it. Okay, so let's just jump right in here. Uh, the documentary, again, is Downwind, and it chronicles the nuclear testing that happened uh, in southern Nevada between the years of 1951 and 92. This, this is, is a hard film, at least for me. It was very difficult to view, but it was much needed viewing and the information needs to continue to be out here. So how did this all come about for you to do this documentary? Do you have family or friends that were affected by all of this nuclear testing or what? So when co-director Doug Miller and I set out to make this documentary, we were initially focused on the test site itself. We were surprised to have read that there were 928 nuclear detonations at the Nevada test site. I think everyone is aware of Trinity, and obviously with Oppenheimer, um, it's sort of in the in the spotlight right now. But I don't think people are, were aware that there were several, you know, you know, almost a thousand nuclear weapons detonated in, in Nevada. That most of them had higher yields than the one than the Trinity um, explosion in, in New Mexico. And so, personally, Doug and I. And just like just about everybody, you know, that we've come across has been impacted by cancer in one form or another. And, you know, the, we made the connections of the nuclear detonation to a group of people called downwinders who live sort of adjacent to the Nevada test site and east of the Nevada test site where the winds sort of carry the, the fallout. And the, the biggest thing for us was we, we almost felt like this is sort of a breaking news story. But like you mentioned, um, Testing concluded, at least underground testing concluded in 1992, but a lot of people weren't aware of it. And so as we delved deeper into the topic, we felt like it was a really important topic to shine a light on the individuals, not only, as I mentioned, adjacent to the test site, but those really around the world that are impacted by every every single atomic detonation has some sort of venting or um, fallout that impacts people. And so our as we as we as we sort of researched further into the topic, we wanted to know who was impacted and why, because winds tend to be predictable but also unpredictable. So we knew that the winds were going in different ways and, and were impacting people downwind. And again, through further research, as you see in the film, um, downwinders in the, initially were three groups in particular: Native Americans. Mormons and uh, sort of those living, you know, on the range, cow, you know, cowboys or or the early ranchers um, that were impacted, and we we also knew that they didn't really have a platform. Native Americans, Mormons, cowboys, they they tend not to be very vocal when it comes to anti-governmental, you know, or sort of activism. So 
that was sort of the genesis of what we were looking at with the film and really wanted to um, have Downwinders be, you know, have a voice. You know, we, we really wanted to put a voice to the, to the folks that were impacted in the wake of scientists like Oppenheimer and others that, um, you know, created this, uh, you know, remarkable force that impacts, you know, so many people. And we, we, we wanted to shine a light on that. Now, your film is, uh, you have some heavy hitters, A-listers from Hollywood here. The film is narrated by Martin Sheen. And tell us about some of the other A-listers that are involved uh, in the film. And how did you get, how did you get them on board here? Well, we were really fortunate uh, that the people that we reached out to, you mentioned, um, we had Oscar, Oscar, two-time Oscar winner, Michael Douglas, um, Martin Sheen as the narrator. Um, Louis Black, who's a political satirist, um, and uh, Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son. Those are sort of the Hollywood presence in our in our film. But we also, you know, we we reached out to some of the more prominent folks in the Downwind community, and Claudia Peterson from St. George, not far from Las Vegas, and Mary Dixon, who's lived um, in Salt Lake, and Ian Zabarte, who's a Las Vegas resident. They're all probably some of the most local um, folks in the downwind community. So we feel like um, we, with our film, we really wanted to go for the most, um, you know, the, the 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 voices of the downwind community. And you know, the Hollywood A-listers that we mentioned are have all been connected or closely connected to the detonations at the test site. Martin Sheen was arrested there several times. Um, Michael Douglas talks about his experience with um, the, you know, the making of the film The China Syndrome and the connection of his family in Belarus near um, Chernobyl. And when we approached the folks, not just the, you know, the Hollywood A-listers, but others, they all, you know, they were all impacted by it. And I think they felt like it was very important to tell the story and tell an accurate story of, like I mentioned, the impact of science. Science is a is a many-headed beast, right? It's a, it's a positive thing, but it's also responsible for, you know, things like nuclear weapons. And so the folks that we, that we approached were very, you know, were, were really excited to tell their story. They felt it was an important story to tell and, and, and to tell it the right way. So we really went for, you know, a film that was really going to tell the, a truth. And for that truth, we really needed to reach out to significant members of the community who were impacted by nuclear weapons. And by the way, we also spoke with um, a person that covered the military for the Review Journal in Las Vegas, Keith Rogers. And um, he was a prominent reporter there for years and years and covered the test site, along with Darwin Morgan, who was the uh, public affairs director for the Nevada test site for years. So we really also, you know, we wanted to make sure we told a complete story. Um, We didn't want this to be one-sided. We wanted the film to appeal to all the political perspectives, we're we're so divided right now as a country, but I feel like here it's a you know it's, it's sort of American history that we're telling, um, you know, a truth about American history, an unforgivable time in American history, and I think all parties agree to that. But there is also um, we also really enjoy our role as a you know living living in this country. I do. I appreciate it. I'm thankful that I live in America, but I also feel like there's responsibility of our government, and so. The folks who participated, you know, thought it was important also to, to tell this truth. 
Now, to further speaking, uh, to speak, I should say, of uh, tours and such, I understand that you were here uh, March 7th, early March, and you went to visit yeah. a, a Nevada test site. You took a tour there. What did you see? It's a really remarkable tour of the test site. Uh, it, it's eye-opening, and it's a public tour. Um, the museum is the Smithsonian Institution, and if you live in Las Vegas or if you visit Las Vegas, um, it should be a place high on your list of places to visit. It's a really amazing museum. Um, it, it details the history of atomic testing and the Cold War, and it's a, it is a, you know, it's a part of our history. And anyone can take a tour of the test site. Um, you just have to get on a list and you contact the museum and, you know, they'll, they take you in an air-conditioned bus. It's a free tour and it's a full, you know, the full day tour. They drive you up to the test site. You turn in your phone. And in my case, I had to also turn in my watch or anything that could record anything. And you just listen to history. And it's, um, they take you to safe places around the Nevada test site where they, you know, they show you where they detonated some of the some of the weapons, but also um, take you through areas where they're they're working on other other measures of safety. You know, when it comes to um, anything anything to do with with the you know safety of travel or things like that, they're they're working on ways to counter terrorism, things like that. There, so it's really a, a living history museum that has history, and it's also a part of sort of our nation's um, heritage and also protection. Um, that said, it's not, you know, again, I was I went there with the knowledge that I was going to see some of these places where they tested the bomb, bombs, I should say, and you know, there's there's sort of a a surreal a, a surreal experience when you when you when you see it up close, and it's a it's a huge parcel of land. I mean, it's it's the size of Rhode Island, it's 1,352 square miles, and it gives you some idea. You know, it. it it is you understand why people are patriotic and you understand why people are activists because it really does connect you with American history. And, you know, the the fact that it is open for tours, especially now that um, you know, we're past the pandemic, um tours are probably more available now and I would check with the museum, but it's something it's something that if you're interested in any kind of um US history, especially as it relates to military, uh it's 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 I can't miss. Um I will, I will also say that there were moments of um, concern or, you know, the, the, the test site is built and restricted um, land. The, the, the government has restricted the land that I mentioned, the size of Rhode Island, that is deeded Shoshone Nathan land. I was, I was very aware that this is Shoshone land that the government is now um, restricted. And so, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, this, there's an understanding of the consequences of, of being a superpower and, and so you have to make the decision for yourself whether um you know this is this is a place of patriotism it's also a place of activism there were a lot of uh, a lot of protesters that went to the test site there's actually a um a peace camp right across the freeway from the test site where there's graffiti and peace signs and symbols where people would meet to do you know their, their protests so it's really an all-encompassing experience, and you definitely feel like you're a part of history. And so when did you start on the film? How long did it take you to get everything together? We started on the film um, 
a little over three years ago. So it was it was a labor of love during a very challenging time for any filmmaker, obviously with the, with the pandemic. And um, but we began researching uh, not only the test site, but but also you know understanding sort of the significance of testing worldwide, globally, and. You know, it also tested on Hollywood, as I mentioned, um, Patrick Wayne, his dad, John Wayne, you know, an iconic American, made a film called The Conqueror in St. George, Utah, which is, you know, just over 100 miles from the, the test site, but it's, it's east. Okay. And uh, a year before they started filming at the test site, there was a detonation called Harry that drifted uh, against their, their meteorologist predictions, and the wind carried a lot of fallout over the St. George area. Um, Snow Canyon is the name of the national area where it's, a, it's actually a very beautiful um, park where you have the red, so, you know, Utah red hills and it's a campground and it's an area to explore. But they, they made a lot of Hollywood productions there, including the Conqueror, and the, the cast was there for a few months um, on location. And as we delved deeper into our research, we found that according to a People magazine article, um, half the cast of the Conqueror died of complications related to cancer. And this was a People Magazine article, again, written in 1980 by a guy named Mark Sennett, who is one of the people we interview in the film. And he, he'd gone to St. George to, because he'd heard about the tremendously high leukemia rates there. And as he delved deeper in, into his research, he found out that a lot of Hollywood productions were made there, including the John Wayne film. So there was, there was a lot of press back then you know, asking, did America kill John Wayne? And we thought that was a really interesting angle to look at, you know, in our story, because John Wayne, although he's one American, kind of represents sort of the iconic, brazen American hero. And, you know, that became the irony, you know, did, did America kill John Wayne? That's, again, something, you know, for, for history or others to explain, but we definitely wanted to to bring that to the fore so people could understand the impact that it impacted everyone and then it you know impacted Hollywood. And then as we as we zoomed our lens back, we you know really talk about how radiation and fallout impacted all parts of the country as we show in some of the maps that they show these radiation maps. Um, you could be as far away as New York or you know even in other countries where the fallout drifts globally. So all of the, for all those reasons, you know, we just became so fascinated with this story and really wanted to spend a, we spent a lot of time researching, um, you know, we did a lot of interviews. We did, you know, 30 or 40, maybe more interviews that we couldn't even use in the film because we had to, obviously, just like, you know, we had to cut some interviews from, from the film that we made. But in terms of research, you know, we, we talked to people in Congress. We talked to the folks that are in the film, we spoke with scientists, we spoke with doctors, we spoke with researchers, we spoke with Native Americans. It was just really important for us to get, you know, the full story. And then we had this incredible um, serendipitous moment where Oppenheimer premiered, you know, before our film, and it really does kind of show the people in the wake of Oppenheimer, you know, and obviously, Oppenheimer is a complicated story, you know, as a scientist and what he built and what he helped build and how it impacted it impacted people. And so we like to, again, look at our story as, as um, the people in the wake of Oppenheimer and other scientists, um, the, the radiation, the fallout, what goes up comes down for every action. There's an opposite and equal reaction, right? So it, it, it became sort of fascinating. And, and 
um, you know, again, our, 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 we just want to let the cameras roll and people tell their stories. Was it difficult? Uh, I won't say difficult. Was it to get the people, the non-Hollywood people, maybe the non-scientists and such, just regular people who were affected by um, the radiations? Was it difficult to get them to on camera to be interviewed, you know, to get your trust? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I mentioned before, we we just wanted them to tell their truth. We wanted, we, it was important for us to, um, we weren't, we, we, we wanted to ask questions and how they were impacted. And, and, you know, you see in the film, some heartbreaking stories happen in the film. And it's, yes. it's, it is a heartbreaking film in a lot of ways, but it's also an important film. You know, if you're an American, if you're a world global citizen, I think you'll consider it important because there were, there are cancer clusters across the country and, you know, and across, obviously across the world. We just ask people, you know, you know, to tell us what they think and we let the cameras go because they, you know, Claudia Peterson in St. George has been telling her story for years. And I don't know if people really, really understand her story. And so I, you know, for her to open up was again, an opportunity for her to, um, you know, just to talk about, how she was impacted, how her family was impacted, and how she became sort of an activist um, coming from a small town in Utah, growing up in a conservative family, but also understanding that there's a right and a wrong. And, you know, when you lose a child, when you lose a sister, when you lose parents, um, you begin to, you know, speak out and become inspirational. So Claudia doesn't view herself as someone that, you know, this, this happened to Claudia, but she's also inspiring. You know, she, she goes around the world now and speaks to people surviving in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and um, to parts of Russia, where she said she grew up, um, like a lot of Americans, fearful of Russians, but then at the end realized that a lot of them, there were downloaders in Russia, too, that were suffering similar um, consequences. So we found Mary. Mary Dixon's story, too, to also be inspirational. Mary's a writer based in Salt Lake. She wrote a play about um, Downwinders. And, you know, she's a journalist. She's, she's written a lot about the topic about RECA, which is the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. She's been very active in that, as has Claudia. And Ian also, Ian Zabarte, um, who is the principal man of the um, Shoshone Nation. And he talks of you know just talks a lot about this story and that it's inspirational it's inspiring because they're not people are not um they're not going to quit in their battle for for recognition you know for rica radiation exposure compensation act to be expanded so um other folks so they're you know from downwind communities can um can benefit from compensation that's due to them you know the the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act is a very complicated act that was that was enacted by Congress that allows folks in only three states and only specific counties of three states to be eligible to receive a lump sum of $50,000 to cover um, any sort of cancer treatment, um, you know, that, that they, you know, from exposure to radiation. But if you think about it, New Mexico, where Oppenheimer um, did his test in Los Alamos. Not, no, no one in New Mexico is eligible for RICA right now. Um, in Utah, only folks in southern Utah are eligible. In Nevada, only folks, you know, sort of near the test site, like in Las Vegas, is not covered. 
um, and Arizona, a little bit from northern Arizona. So only three states have eligibility in RECA. And so another sort of hope for our film is that RECA is expanded. And, you know, I, I think that with Oppenheimer and hopefully with our film, people will understand that there really are people who deserve some sort of compensation for the, you know, unforgivable era in U.S. history. So the RECA compensation is $50,000 one time, one payment only, and that's all for them? Yes. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, it's interesting. Um, so it is a one time payment of $50,000. It's a step in the right direction because I think it's an admission of guilt mm -hmm. and a, you know, a desire to compensate. But the challenge is, you know, none of the, film, none of the folks in our film were eligible for RECA. So you, you saw what happened with Claudia's family. Yes. Um, yes. And she lives in St. George, but not it's, her county is not eligible for RECA. So, again, and Mary, too. Mary lost a sister, and she's 40. I think her 75 neighbors in her neighborhood, none of them were eligible. Dr. Mentz is another person in our film that is a, um, you know, he's had cancer twice and um, talks about what happens when you're, when, when you're exposed to radiation, what can happen. And he's also not eligible. So it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's a step in the right direction. But $50,000 in today's climate, when we're talking about, you know, you break your arm, you go to the hospital, it's, you know, it's ridiculous how much healthcare costs. And yes. So to get, you know, adequate healthcare for something as, as debilitating as cancer or other ailments from, you know, known to be plausible from exposure to radiation is definitely... Um, you know, it's it's not enough. I don't know. I don't know what price you put on, what price you put on life. It's very, very, it's a very, very challenging topic. A lot of people um, that are eligible for RECA don't want to accept it because it's almost like, you know, here's a here's a payout for something. But if you've lost someone, um, or if they're eligible for for RECA, in some ways they they felt it was insulting even to accept that amount of money because it's you know how do you how do you reconcile that? So that's another thing for maybe people in the film to think about. I don't want to, you know, people will have their own answers to what, to, to how they view Rika. But in my mind, it seems pretty clear that it needs to be expanded um, to include others. And so it's just so many questions I have here. No, no, it's fine. Yep. Why, why was the testing done in North America. Why wasn't it done some far, far remote island underneath, you know, in the South Pole somewhere? I mean, why? Why did that ever come? The answer ever come to surface, or what? Yeah. So we asked that question of Darwin Morgan, who's at the Atomic Testing Museum. In the film, he actually talks about. Um, I should start again. We asked that question of Darwin Morgan, who worked at the Nevada Test Site for years, and he. He said that um, the reason the test site was chosen for its specific location was it, it was sort of a guarded area, easy, easy, you know, it was a valley that, that was surrounded by mountains. Um, there were, when they did the testing in the atolls in, um, you know, the far Pacific, it's very expensive to move anything, anything out, you know, across the ocean to test in, in, in which they did test in the waters. Um, gigantic, you know, tests that were done in the waters. But there were a lot of um, fishing trawlers that were actually spying on the testing. Uh, there were, you know, sort of a, there were, there were reasons of 
um, military security as well as financial um, reasons for why they chose the test site because it, you know it was an enclosed valley. Um, it was easily easy to cordon off and restrict the valley for for others. You know that there weren't people that could spy on what was going on, similar to what they did in New Mexico. Um, and again, moving moving this these tremendous uh, you know the 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 machine of nuclear of power or nuclear bomb is a significant uh, there's, there's a lot of machinery and things that need to be shipped to the to the far Pacific. And it would do it would have just it was outrageously expensive for the government, but also um, you know security was was a was a big concern. What are the chances, or, or according to the research and people that you've talked to, what are the chances that something similar to this could happen again? I always think about CERN, but of course that's over in Switzerland. But I mean, what what are the odds? What are the odds that uh, testing could resume? Yeah, so, so, or, or similar type of testing, maybe in a more modern um, capacity, but still dangerous testing. Um, I think it's a really great question. There were politicians in Utah um, that brought up the fact that, you know, maybe testing is a good idea. I know that uh, Trump has, had brought it up, you know, the idea that, you know, maybe we re- resume testing. I think, I think it sort of depends on the climate of the country and whether or not, you know, we can sign these, these agreements and treaties with other countries or, or, they, or do they fall apart? You know, we're in this world right now that's so shaky and, and um, there are so many factors that, that play into positioning of the superpower, whether you're China, Russia, or the United States. And so that's just a question of, you know, where we feel as a stable nation. And we talk about that a little bit in the film. Um, Keith Rogers, but I really think it's important that I bring him up because he, he was a Las Vegas-based journalist for years and an amazing person. And he passed away actually before we wrapped production. And um, we, his wife, uh, Marion, works also for the, the newspaper. And Keith talks in the film about, you know, the need for sort of our protection. You know, do, is, there, is there a need that, that Russia has its nuclear weapons, China has its nuclear weapons, we have ours. So it is almost a deterrent. So, but, you know, there's that question of where do you draw the line Um you continue testing or do we all realize that this world is too important? Um, are the people of the world are too important? You know, that the future of the world is too important. So I do think if I, if I was a betting person in Las Vegas, <laughs> there's, there's probably the likelihood that, um, the testing could resume again. And I will say this: the test site is still operational. When you go into the test site, um, they're not doing nuclear testing, but there certainly are scientists and they're working. And um, when you go on the tour, you see people with, with access who are in there doing things. And I, you know, mostly it's, it's anti-terrorism and things like that, that they're, that they're working on, but the, the test set is still restricted. You can't go in there without going through a, um, you know, the, the tour that they take, they take you on. But if you go up to the gates of the test site, which we did several times in Mercury, Nevada, not far from, Las Vegas, um, you'll, you'll see a gate and you'll see police cars and guards at the gate. You can't get in. So to me, that says that, you know, there is the potential that they could resume testing. 
if you talk to people from our film and Claudia and Mary, they're very concerned that that could happen again. And I think um, they're aware that it really is a possibility. Now, the, the test site area that you visited, is it connected to the uh, the National Atomic Testing Museum? Is that the same company, uh, company organization or what? Did, did you say, is the museum the same organization as the... Yes. What? Um, the museum, the museum just is, you know, has like relics from the atomic age, and they have sort of a recreation of uh, the, you know, some of the underground testing. They actually have a really interesting theater you can go into where you actually feel the vibration of a test, and it's got like the wind from the test itself. You kind of feel the. It's a really remarkable experience um, in their theater. And they also, they, you know, they, they take you through the era of underground testing and above ground testing. So we had 828 detonations were underground. So the, the, the vast majority of the nuclear bombs that they, that they detonated at the test site were underground. Um, however, there were 100 above ground detonations. So, the above ground ones are the big, you know, the big mushroom clouds, like the, the shot you see of Trinity, you know, the, the fiery ball. Those, those are the above ground detonations. So there were 100 of those, they call them atmospheric tests. And, you know, again, the museum just sort of gives you a history of, of the, you know, the, the detonations, where they took place, how they were detonated. But I think people, people are probably not aware that, you know, even when you blow up a bomb underground, you know, the, the vent, it has to vent, right? There's, when you blow something up, there is a venting process that has to take place. And in some cases, when they did the underground testing, 828 underground tests, um, a prompt massive venting, which is a, means that the, you know, the gases from the underground test seeped into the atmosphere, like they, they got out. And, you know, you could also argue underground testing is adjacent to water tables and, you know, Things like that. So there, there is the concern. Even if you do it underground, you're still on planet Earth. You know, you're still impacting one, you know, something. So getting back to the museum, it, the museum is an interesting place to sort of take in a piece of history. It's fascinating. You know, it's like it's going to a place where you're, where you're learning about the Cold War era, and you know, you can decide for yourself if we're still in that Cold War era, even though we've we've stopped the atmospheric and underground testing. You know, there still is development into the nuclear arsenal, and we point out that that's sixty-three billion dollars a year. Um, that's quite a that's quite a budget. I want to give the website atomicmuseum.vegas for those who are interested. Uh, I'm kind of still kind of new here to Vegas, so I definitely plan on visiting, especially after talking to you and seeing the film. But again, the website is atomicmuseum.vegas. Two last questions here, Mark. Okay, 920-some-odd detonations. Did anybody in your research ask, answer the question, why so many? Why 900 plus? 500 wasn't enough? 100 wasn't enough? My goodness. Why so many? It's, a, it's such a good question. And Mary Dixon addresses it in the film. Um, you know, she says, Something to the effect of, you know, what did they learn on the 928th test? They didn't learn on the 15th or yes. 20th or 200th. And, you know, some of it is just 
the, the scientific progress or different, you know, maybe trying different things. I mentioned they, they tested, you know, the underground detonations and they also dropped the bomb um, from balloons. They shot, in one case, they shot it out of a cannon. Um, you know, there, there were just different ways of implementing the test and I think they wanted to understand the impact. But you could also argue, you know, Dr. Mensch talked about in the film, you know, to your point, what did you, what did people not learn from the 928 test that they wouldn't have learned in other cases? And not only that, we learned a lot from the Manhattan Project and Trinity. We learned a lot from that one test. And then, you know, constantly we also learned, you know, what happens when you drop it in a population, which we did twice. You know, we did it in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And again, that's something that people have to come to terms with. It, it may have ended you know, world war, it may have ended a world war, but it started a cold war. And so, you know, again, that's, that's something that we think is really interesting. One of the things that we, there, there's, there's a lot of commonalities between Oppenheimer and our film. And, you know, we use a lot of the same quotes. They quote Truman, President Truman in the film, in their film, you know, you can hear him, uh, you can hear Truman's words when he talks about dropping the bomb in Hiroshima. As he called it, and we we actually showed Truman giving that speech. We we have a clip of Truman announcing the bomb on Hiroshima, and it's fascinating. He's coming back from Pot, the Potsdam conference in Germany on a boat. He's aboard a boat when he announces that we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. So all the similarities and the parallels and everything between those two films, you know, it gets back to that question of, you know, what is the price of being a global superpower? A lot of people support it and there are people that don't support it. And that's the decision that viewers, that viewers can make for themselves. We just wanted to kind of lay out the history and, you know, so, so the dangers and consequences of science, you know, science is a very, very, very complicated. Um, it's a very, very it's a complicated study. You know, there's, Obviously, so many important parts of science, um, but then there's also, you know, the the idea that science also creates um, things that can change the world. So, in good for good and for bad. Well, we know that downwind does not open until August 18th, just a few days away. But oh, since the success, the overwhelming success of Oppenheimer, uh, what is it? doing for your film is it giving it you know you get getting some early buzz kind of floating over here your way or, or what well we we hope that's the case um because when i saw oppenheimer and i really enjoyed oppenheimer it, it was a great film and i was so taken with all the similarities the music is similar there's similarities even matthew modine who's our executive producer on downwind is in oppenheimer he played um a role in oppenheimer and um, we, we, you know, we, uh, the, the timing was just incredible and like I said, serendipitous and we hope it does raise awareness. I guess my, my hope is that as people look at an iconic American like Oppenheimer, that they'll also look at the people that were in the wake, you know, that were in the wake of Oppenheimer and other scientists, as I mentioned, it's, um, it's a tremendous, uh, coincidence of the timing but in some cases you know when you're telling a truth and when you're when you're working on a story like this we had a lot of quote-unquote coincidences come up like i hadn't you know the, the, these, the dots were all connecting themselves it was very interesting and if 
to us, it wasn't really about coincidence. It was more about when you're telling the truth about something, when you're talking about a story that is so significant that there, there are bound to be a lot of um, sort of happenstances or things that happen, you know, to, at the, around the same time. And this is no exception. Have any of the people uh, interviewed in the film, have they seen the final product yet? Like um, some of the Native American people, Claudia, any of those people? Yes, because um, we we screened it at a, a few festivals, and um, you know Mary and and Ian and some other. Uh, we just screened actually in Nevada at Cordillera near Reno Tahoe, which is an incredible film festival. We had an amazing time there. We won best uh, documentary feature, and Ian was there with me, and we did a lot of um, you know Q and A afterwards. We talked about the film, and you know I think they they feel grateful that we're that we're getting a story out there that that otherwise people weren't aware of. And again, the timing is really remarkable because now so many people are aware of Oppenheimer and who he is. And it's our hope that, you know, people also become aware of, of Jean Zavarte and Claudia Peterson and, and Mary Dixon. And then people like, um, you know, Patrick Wayne, who was impacted, you know, this is a very uh, complicated issue. You know, Martin Sheen, who was arrested so many times at the, at the, um, at the test type, I really believe in civil disobedience. Michael Douglas talks about how much he loves being an American. He's incredibly patriotic, but he also talks about how things, you know, can change and should change. Um, we have to keep moving, you know, be being proactive and and take care of each other. So that part of it is, you know, like we said, it's, we hope the story, we hope our film is, you know, becomes a part of, of becomes a part of history and people talk about it and, and changes made and people are, are compensated and all of those things. But, but most importantly, just the, that the truth is out, you know, is told, our story is told and that people can, and, you know, decide whether or not, you know, they, they agree or not, you know, again, some people really support the, you know, where we are as a global superpower. I certainly, like I said, recognize our, my privilege as an American. I love it daily, but I, again, I also recognize that um, we can do better. Finally, uh, is there a website for the film, uh, Instagram, social media, TikTok, all of that kind of great stuff? Um, yeah, so we are backlotdocs.com, www.backlotdocs.com is our website. I really encourage people to go to our Instagram, the film Instagram page, which is at downwind underscore film. And that will have information about where the film is playing. We still have Several festivals are coming up um, all over the country. And, you know, like I mentioned, video on demand. You can pre-order it now on iTunes and Vudu and Amazon. And by Friday, it's going to be almost everywhere. You'll be able to get it, you know, on several um, cable platforms and other places. And if not, um, we're going to keep an ongoing list of where you can see the film. And also, you know, we are also open to, um, if people are interested from, from different theaters and places like that, we are... Um, we're hoping to do like a, like I said some special one-off screenings for sure in Las Vegas. As I mentioned, we'll do um, Q and A. Ian, Ian, and I for sure will be there, and um, my co-director Doug Miller. Um, but yeah, I would keep an eye. The, the best place to do that would be at Downwind underscore Film. Okay, we got it, and we will put that on our uh, respective pages and such. And people can always email me info at filmfestivalradio.com if they need that information again. Oh, I tell you, 
Mark, this has been amazing. Uh, I always like to ask filmmakers, what's your next project? Have you already started on it yet or what? Yeah, we actually, we we do have a, a couple of projects that, that we're working on um, and they're a little bit different, but we're also going to, we're kind of, we're looking to kind of un, uncover um, stories that we think are interesting, American stories. We're, Doug and I are, um, we love American history. And so we have a couple things coming up. Um, they're a little bit different than Downwind. But um, on our website, when I can talk about those, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about that. But we're, we're, we are, um, you know, in addition to this film, we're sort of moving forward with the next one. So we're excited for that as well. I'll let you know when that's, when that's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. Please let me know. Well, in the meantime, I look forward to meeting both you and Doug and the rest of the people uh, associated with your film when you have your Vegas uh, event. So you know how to find me. And uh, thank you so much for the insight and for this film. As I said at the top of the conversation, it's not easy to watch, but it's needed viewing. And it seems like every generation continues to have an interest in this whole topic matter. It's, I think that's great, though, to just keep, never let it die out. So that hopefully it'll never happen again. Yeah, I just, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. We are, um, we just really feel like this is such an important story to share. And it's such an interesting part of, of American history. And then you're right. It's, we say it right up front, Michael Douglas, you know, opens the film with the statement, you know, that it's a it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to to watch. Um, but it's a true story. And it's also at the end of the day inspirational. Like I said before, Claudia, Mary, Ian, you know, they're 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 happy the story is being told and they're inspiring other Americans to do to do their part to be Americans. It's what we do. You know, this is a very complicated um Government, you know, we're having a complicated sort of a divided time in history, but we're all Americans and this is part of the process. And this is democracy in action. And I think, um, you know, that I'm thrilled with it. I'm thrilled with with the fact that, you know, we, we get to be activists. We get to be patriots. We get to, you know, we get to support this incredible, this incredible nation and make it better. Absolutely. And all of this incredible work that the activists have done over the years there, you know, we, of course, we would like bigger, faster progress, but there has been progress made and hopefully it'll get a complete progress as we go along. So again, Mark, thank you so much for Downwind against opening August 18th, Select Theaters, and you've given the uh, Instagram link. And so we will continue to support the film. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you again for having me today. Absolutely. So take care and I hope to see you in Vegas very soon. Thank you. Okay, Thank goodbye. You. I hope to see you too. Okay, goodbye. Okay, thank you so much, Mark, for giving us insight into the making of Downwind. As I said, this is a very important documentary that's uh, very informative, obviously. So once again, this film will be opening in select theaters on August 18th and also on video on demand. And you can follow uh, to find out if uh, the opening will take place in your city or not. Just go to their Instagram page at downwind underscore film. And there you will find all of the details that you need to know about. So thank you 
Thank you so much, Mark. And also thank you to Chris Wolsey, of course, from Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment for being our guest for this edition of Film Festival Radio Show. And of course, thank all of you listeners for listening to us. And we will see you on the next edition of the show. Make it a great rest of your day or evening. Maybe it's the weekend for you. We don't know. But wherever you are, make it a great day. And we'll see you next show. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com. Ooh.